Welcome to Buildings and Beyond. The podcast that explores how we can create a more sustainable built environment. By focusing on efficiency, accessibility, and health. I'm Rob Aldrich. And I'm Kelly Westby. This episode, I'm talking with Lois Arena, who is an engineer and the director of Passive House Services at Stephen Winter Associates. And she's in charge of, well, all things Passive House at, at this company, as you might tell from her title. But she's really been involved in some, uh, some of the, really the biggest Passive House projects in the United States to date. Uh, and this conversation is really a big picture. It's a little different. I asked her, we should do a Passive House episode. And she said, you know what? I have a list of FAQs that I answer 4,000 times a week. Let's talk about those. So it's very easy on my part. I just asked her FAQs. But uh, here's a primer on Passive House with Lois. Thanks, Lois. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for being here. <laughs> Happy to do it. So this is a little different. Lois is really the Passive House maven here at uh, C1 Associates. She might use stronger terms. I'm the boss. <laughs> In charge of Passive House, I believe I've heard quite recently. Yes. Period. Uh, but this this kind of this session or this um, podcast is, is going to be a little different. We, when we sat down, it's like, what would make a good Passive House podcast? And you said, here, here's the top ten FAQs that I get about Passive House four hundred times a month. And you actually have a little brochure that I you did. had printed up, which I didn't know about. So I was happy to read that and see that. So here we go. This is this is the top. Several I picked and choose, and, oh, okay. may, and maybe I added Ooh, one or two of my own. Yeah, you know. <laughs> so first, okay. What is passive house? Passive house is an a building energy standard, and it currently is the most stringent standard in the world. Um, and it's a performance based standard that gives you what I call an energy budget. So there's an energy demand per square foot that you're not allowed to exceed. And there's one for heating, one for cooling, and then one for the whole building, all energy uses in the building. So is, is it uh, energy consumption? Are there peak demand requirements also? This is like an energy com- consumption over the course of a year. It's an annual energy demand, okay. yes, for all cool. three categories. Gotcha. Yeah. And that's, that's, at its core, that's what it is. At its core. All right. Yes. So key requirements other than the energy demand? There are some key requirements. So they're not just concerned with energy efficiency. They want to make sure the buildings are durable. Okay. All right. So no moisture problems, no mold, no indoor air quality problems. And they also want to make sure that they're comfortable. So they don't want you to squeeze down the energy efficiency by, say, a massive PV array to have a really poor envelope. So they focus on the envelope of the building first. They focus on comfort, durability, and then energy efficiency. Okay, interesting. So envelope is the first target. Envelope is the first target. Okay. Yeah. And and air tightness is a big, big piece of that. I think it's a very big piece okay. of that. Okay. Yeah. The passive house air tightness requirement, depending on what code or standard you're comparing it to, is generally five to ten times tighter than any other standard out there, or code requirement. Yeah, I remember twenty years ago, before I was here, I was doing. Solar thermal system, hydronic heating systems, and somebody told me they tested, they did a blower door test on their house and came came back with one ACH fifty. And I told him he was full of crap. There's no <laughs> way. 
there's no way a house can be that I probably tight. would have said that 10 years ago, too. <laughs> and this was like 20. I was like, yeah, oh. obviously, we can't trust this guy at all. He's, he's, <laughs> he's smoking cuckoo. something. But that's like, you know, until recently, I think it was like 0.6 ACH50. Air changes per hour at 50 pascals. Is that? That's still the requirement. That's still a thing. Okay. I thought, I thought they were shifting to a area or a... Or a per square foot of enclosure? So for, they are. So, okay. well, there's two different standards. One's the U.S. standard and one's the international standard. The U.S. split off from the international standard. When they did that, they, they went to solely a CFM per square foot of facade. And that's ah, for large US. buildings, the U.S. Okay. That's 0. 0.08 CFM per square foot of facade. So very, very tight. Gotcha. The, um, the international version, they were used to doing smaller buildings. 0.6 was their standard. As the buildings got bigger, they came up with a recommendation for buildings over, I think it's probably 10,000 square feet, actually. So okay. not even that huge. That you, They recommend that you go to 0. 0.033 CFM per square foot of facility. Uh. And so for a building like Cornell, that's... Almost, I think, two hundred thousand square feet. I, so I this is a, this is a dormitory for Cornell Medical School. This is that was right? the Cornell Tech campus's uh, student housing. Okay. So it's not, well, it's not medical. A dorm. Okay. Not medical. No, no. Okay. It's their tech campus. I was confused. And so in New York City. In New York on Roosevelt City. Island. Okay. And so that air change rate actually equates to about 0.15 air changes per hour for a building of that size. When you go down uh, to 0.033. Okay. So you, yeah. Yeah. Blew it away. Yeah. And that that project. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. Uh, other key requirements, balanced ventilation. Yep. That was on your list. That was on your list of FAQs. That is. And continuous insulation. Those three, I mean, those, those, those three, three, I think, were the, you got to get those right. Or, Absolutely. Or you're hopeless. Right. So, exactly. So, the, the continuous insulation for durability, the air leakage actually was also for durability. Yeah. When they first started the program over 25 years ago, they didn't have that tight of a requirement. And they wound up with homes that had mold and mildew in the walls. They had some massive failures. And so they reevaluated because air could get in, but then they couldn't dry out because uh. the heat flow through the walls was so low. So they determined from testing and, and, and uh, analysis that they needed to go down to 0 0.06 for durability reasons. It wasn't just... Uh, for energy efficiency. All right. Okay. So that's where that developed from. Gotcha. Interesting. That's that is interesting. Yeah. And then the mechanical ventilation. Obviously, if you're that tight, you got to provide some fresh air to people. And, ha <laughs> and it has to be balanced. And yeah. it has to be balanced. Exhaust only systems won't work. Right. Yeah. The air's not going to come back. You'll right. just depressurize that building. Right. All the time. Exactly. Okay. Cool. And it stresses the fans, right? You start winding and using up more energy than you typically would if you're oh, depressurizing yeah. the building all yeah. the time. Yeah. And the fans will yep. die. The fans will burn out. The motors right. will burn out. Yeah. Right. So, uh, what can be certified? This is also on your list. This is a common question. Yes. What can Houses, be certified? Houses, right? Yeah, passive house, passive right? House. Yeah. No, actually, anything can be certified that you either has heating or cooling system in it, and that you can do a blower door test on. <laughs> and so, for example, something that we couldn't certify, which was really interesting and sad because I wanted to do this project was uh, one of our developers asked us if we wanted to work on a project in Hawaii. And you said? Of course, and that project <laughs> is mine. Thought, of, thought about it a <laughs> little bit. I will be the lead consultant on that one, right. and I will open a Hawaiian office if I need to. But um, the, uh, the didn't need cooling. 
Okay. Because of, of all of the ventilation there. And and the ventilation system is a passive ventilation system with just yeah, open grills in the walls. Right. So yeah. it made me want to move there, but we could not <laughs> certify the project. <laughs> yeah, and that, that's the question that's on the list. But yeah. there are some climates where passive houses kind of move. Yeah. In uh, Hawaii being one. Yeah. San Diego San probably. San Diego probably, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, so not only houses though, any, any, anything we're doing office space. We're doing, um, uh, somebody has a dentist office certified down in Virginia. Okay. Um, so it's high rise, it's low rise, it's offices, it's any type of building. You can, we're doing a factory. We're doing a factory in Sri Lanka. All right. So anywhere, any type of building. (laughs) And, and correct me if I'm wrong, but we're doing like a portion of a high rise office building, just a, a, a section of the offices within a, tall, a, a really big building? Exactly. Right? So in, in Boston, okay. there's a project going in in Winthrop Square that is 55-story tower. 35 stories of that are residential. About okay. four stories on the base are um, retail, restaurant, that sort of stuff. And then there's 20 stories in between those two spaces uh, that is office. And so Passive House Institute has agreed to do it as a pilot project because they haven't really done a section, a middle section of a building like that before. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. All right. So not so, just houses. No, not just houses. It started with single family homes, yes? And it started single family low rise. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. But evolved a lot from there. Okay. Next question on your uh, FAQs. What is the price premium for doing passive house? That is usually number one. <laughs> you can always tell the developer in the room, you know, you're like, ah. Um, so that's a tricky question because it all depends on where your baseline is. Um, if you are a code minimum builder, that does nothing more than code buildings, you have a lot farther to go than if you are a typical lead silver builder. And okay. that's your that's your standard. You're already doing stuff for energy efficiency. You're already doing probably some good ventilation strategies. It may not be passive house level, but you've already got some good stuff in there. Um, and you've already got better insulation levels than to get to lead silver, you'll need some good energy points. Yep. So right. <clears throat> it depends on where you start from. And it also depends on if you come with a building plan already set and say to me, make this passive house instead of uh, a program and say, look, I need a hundred units. It can't be taller than this. I need some retail space. And the designer is left to, with your budget to create a project that fits that budget. Yeah. So we have estimates anywhere from zero additional cost because of those types of projects okay. Okay. to 15% is usually the high end. And that's usually the person that comes to me with a set of plans and says, make this one passive house. Okay. And we don't want to change anything. All right. So, oh, you know, ventilation is going to be an ad because you don't have to do supply, <laughs> right? You it's just decode minimum exhaust. Right. Yeah. Okay. Ventilation's an ad. Your, your windows are probably going to be more expensive. Yeah, I, yes. So, you know, you don't always have to go to triple pane windows, but you always have to go to a much better window than is very typical okay. in the United States. So, so, so. You, <laughs> you, I, you primarily work on larger multifamily buildings, buildings, institutional yes. buildings, offices, very anything. tall buildings, very okay. tall buildings. Yes. And Cornell Tech was it was twenty six stories. It was the first tower that tall, and that big, in the world. Okay. Passive house. Passive yeah, right. house to get gotcha. certified. Okay. So we really, yeah. And that sort of set the ground for all of these other people with large buildings coming and asking us to be certified. All right. So. Gotcha. Cool. 
cool. And all over the, I mean, all over the world. My gosh. Yeah. Going to Sri Lanka next week? Two weeks? Sri Lanka. I'm, uh, Dylan's going to do the final blower door testing right. on the Sri Lanka factory. I'm going to Vancouver in two weeks because they're, they're adopting it as their code. Uh, so they need people who have done large buildings to come wow. out and, and train some of their developers. So they've hired myself and some other consultants who have experience on big buildings, and we're, we're going out to do some pretty intensive two, three-day workshops cool. for their developers. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Nice, nice. Yeah. All right. After price, O&M, are there big changes in operation and maintenance with Pacifest buildings? Generally, no. Generally, you're supposed to see lower maintenance costs because the building's supposed to be more durable. You should see less rot, you should see less leakage, you should see you know less things that cause repair. The one area where you probably will have increased maintenance is in the ventilation system because the ERVs have filters that need to be replaced. Yep. So the extent of the extra maintenance depends on the type of ventilation strategy you choose. If you choose an individual ERV in every apartment versus centralized systems where you only have two or three, then you've got that many more filters to change if you go with the individual system. So that's where your increased maintenance would yep, be. Makes sense. And, and on, I mean, on the heating and cooling side, one would assume that the systems are smaller capacity, maybe lower cost, lower maintenance. That may not always that's follow. The, okay, so that's the, that's the hook that Passive House uses <laughs> to try and tell you that it's a no cost option, right? Like it's a balance. You save money on your heating and cooling, but you pay a little more on your shell. But for large buildings, that's not really the case. Large buildings, what these high density um, buildings, all the large buildings are high density, office space, everything is very high density. They generally have very high internal gains compared to a residential building. So the cooling system doesn't decrease. The heating decreases like like almost to nothing, but the cooling stays there. The load or in even particular, goes up, since you don't have infiltration, right. cooling things off at night. Right. So your demand, your your whole your annual demand could possibly stay the same. It probably won't go up because there are specific measures you do take to try and minimize the amount of cooling, especially from exterior. You try and use a lot of bypass for. Uh, free cooling from your ventilation system. You do employ strategies to try and mitigate the internal gains, but you're yep. not likely going to cut it even in, by 25% yeah. the size of your system. So you basically have the same, if you're using the same system for heating and cooling, you did not decrease the size gotcha. of your system. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So comparable. Ventilation for is small the big... projects, yes, you'll save money on your okay. heating and cooling. Yeah, yeah. I've worked on a lot of smaller projects yeah. and they... they they can get they away. Can. Even low-rise multifamily can yes. get away with much simpler yeah. heating and cooling systems. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Cool. Now, this one surprised me. This one you said is the most common question that you get about Passive House. Can occupants open their windows? I know. It throws us for that's on. Time. That's seriously. We're talking about cost and IQ and ventilation. And, and this, is a, this is a, you get this all the time. All the time. People assume that because the building has to be so airtight that the minute someone opens their window, it ruins the entire project. (laughs) (laughs) So, well, you shouldn't be able to open your windows. You can't have operable windows. And we get in the biggest fights over this. This is like (laughs) like one of those silly things that's so not true, but somehow has, you know, made its way through the little rumor mill about Passive House. And it's absolutely not true. (sighs) They want you, you are required in livable spaces, especially residences, to provide operable windows. You have to. Okay. They want the occupants to be able to gain 
Good. Open the windows. Good. All right. <laughs> control their climate. They want the occupants to control their climate. That rumor has been, it's done. It's, it's still, well, you heard it here? Done. Excellent. Told we'll never hear that again. <laughs> uh, all right, speaking of, speaking of windows, is there a restriction on the amount of glazing you can have in a passive house? Technically, no. There's no written, you cannot have greater than 30% window to okay. wall ratio. What happens is the more glass you have, the better the window and the better the shell has to become, right? Because the window is yep. usually the worst portion of your thermal envelope. So um, when you go to some of these taller buildings, especially the market rate ones where they want to have floor to ceiling glass, they pay the price for I've been that. to Vancouver once and oh my God, everything is glass. Everything's there. glass. That'll be interesting. That's what they're fighting against right now. Yeah, that's one of the big issues. Yeah. yeah. So you wouldn't, you probably couldn't in this climate have yeah, an climate. all glass building. You okay. probably couldn't San Diego. <laughs> all right. Again, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Very climate dependent. Yeah. It's all about the energy budget. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Cool. Cool. Uh, what are the major roadblocks to passive house compliance? So again, it's pretty climate specific because we have such an extreme climate here that especially for ventilation here in New England, in New England, in, yeah. in the cold, in the cold climates in general, I would say four or five up my and ICC, up. Yeah. five and up, something yes. like that. Um, you need energy recovery or heat recovery ventilation. We're very limited on efficient systems, whether they're individual or central systems. We only have one or two options for each and they, that are certified or that work out in the modeling that work or, out in the modeling okay. and that have the type of, um, controls and efficiency levels that you'd want because you can't especially for individual ones you if the less efficient the erv the colder the air coming in the more comfort problems you're going to have with your occupants so it's yep. really a huge concern um ul listing on these equipment we need to make sure that they're ul listed we have very few that are you there's a ton of great ervs out there in the world we just don't have them in the united states uh, okay so, or canada also, or is it canada has more options okay. than we do All yeah right. yeah okay um, and then the, the other part that we're still seeing roadblocks on are small enough heating and cooling systems. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Right. I do hear that one, uh, heat pump manufacturer just came out with a 4,000 BTU head. I have seen them in, in and they, real we, with my own eyes. We I just got them. the notification today that that was released from the manufacturer. We got a... Oh, so the one I saw was at a show. It wasn't actually launched. It, it wasn't was just, launched yet. We've got the official just, launch ah, now. Yeah. Okay. So I that's was misled. Great. <laughs> I'll be making some calls. They probably had all of their certifications by then. Okay. But I don't think they had announced it to the public. All right. Officially. All right. So we just got the mass email. Um, good. So that's great news, but we need more. That's one manufacturer. I, yeah. yeah. I, absolutely. I yeah. agree. I mean, that that's... Any building type. I mean, you're making the loads smaller and smaller. Yeah. And the the, the, the way to heat and cool hasn't changed enough. Hasn't no. caught up. No. Um, this is similar. What changes to standard practices will be needed to meet Pacifist criteria? Uh, like, the ceiling is the first thing that comes to my mind. The air ceiling? I mean, yeah. 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 We, we constantly sit in meetings and people are like, that's not how we typically do things. Uh, so there's a lot more attention to... Uh, really good, durable, flexible tapes instead okay. of just relying on caulk. Okay. Um, that sort of thing. Um, the, it, it's, everybody on the job has to know what you're trying to achieve. 
that's one of one of the things. You can't just have your electrician come in and repulsor your insulation and run wire and you know holster the building assembly and then leave, and not have at least somebody We're else on site who's electricians. We don't want any medic. Plumbers do it too. Plumbers, HVAC <laughs> contractors, carpenters. Everybody does it. Everybody Every does trade it. does it. Every trade needs to be on board. The other thing you need to do is, and I always thought this was funny because I. Since I've gotten into Passive House over the last eight years, I've heard so many people talk about the integrated design process. And, and then I go to presentations and they're like, well, you need to have these people on board early. And I'm like, well, isn't that how everybody always works? Because <laughs> that's how every Passive House project oh, works. Man. I mean, you're yeah. not going to get there if you don't. you you got to have a contractor ready so that they can help you with pricing and help bring down the costs. you got to have your HVAC contractor on board because they need to know that the loads are going to be low the building's going to be tested, it's going to be inspected, and they have to believe you right. that the loads are going to be low so that they size the equipment properly. Right. So really you need your whole your whole team, all your consultants on board at the beginning. So that's that's another pretty big change to standard yep. practice. Yep, that makes sense. Uh, <clears throat> Absolutely. Uh, similar, very similar. What are the implications to the, uh, the schedule, construction schedule? <laughs> we get that question a lot. It... They, well, these they are have your, to be, your list of FAQs. Yeah, they that's, are mine. That's why. <laughs> Coming from the Northeast, and in particular working in New York, the answer to that has to be there's absolutely no implications because they would never allow passive house in, in the borders of New York. If you told a construction team that you were going to delay their schedule by 10, min, 10, 10 yeah, weeks, oh, 20, you know, whatever. I, I've had some of the consultants from Canada tell me that they tell the design team that they need to put the building or the process on hold between DD and CDs for like, I don't know, two months or so, so that they can go through the pre-certification process. And I go, no, no, we, we do not. Yeah, we do not do that. We never say that. We oh are on God. board with the certifiers from the beginning. We're constantly doing the analysis from the beginning. And they looked at me like, well, what happens if there's a big change? I go, then we deal with it. But I, you can't, you can't slow a construction team down by even two weeks. No. That they would kill you. Half a day. Half My God. Half a day. You come in and you tell them there's something wrong that they need to fix. And and it's like, we're going to do it now. Stay here. You're going to sign off on it right, before right, you right. leave. Right. You're not sleeping. You're not until sleeping. You said we yeah. Can, you're not we leaving continue. this site. <laughs> yep. So, yeah. No, there's, there's very few times when there's sometimes there's the occasion where a contractor changed what they were supposed to do in the field without asking. And then they have to fix it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And okay. so that okay. that has implications. But that's not because it's passive house. That's because they didn't do what was on the plans and the drawings. Gotcha. And they didn't come up with an acceptable solution and they did something <clears throat> wrong. So we have a couple of projects out there right now where one of the contractors did what they normally do instead of what was in the drawings. They just flew by the seat of their pants and now we have to go back and rip out some drywall. All right. So. Fun, fun. Yeah. A lot of drywall or just a little bit of drywall? Fair amount of Potentially <laughs> a lot of drywall. Okay. Uh, oh, this is probably my favorite. Are there conflicts between Passive House and code requirements or other program requirements? Yes, there are. And it all what are they? <laughs> starts. <laughs> it all starts with ASHRAE 62.2. <laughs> now, mind you, yeah. I am on a subcommittee for that standard. But I am a conscientious objector <laughs> to right. many of the things that All they right. require. Um, no, it's it, it has to do a lot of it has to do with the kitchen kitchen ventilation and the studies that some of the labs have been doing and the high levels of 
ventilation that they're requiring. But my argument is always, and it's exhaust-only systems that are the issue. They're requiring certain high levels of kitchen exhaust. And I keep trying to tell them, you're not going to get any exhaust because these buildings are too tight. And even if you've only built the building to lead, an apartment in the middle of, a, of, a, of an apartment building only has one exterior wall. Right. Only a few CFM is going to come through that. The 100 CFM that they're requiring for intermittent or the five air changes per hour for continuous is not going to come through the exterior envelope. It's not going to be fresh air coming from the outside. It's going to be from the neighboring apartments. And that's anti what they want. Right. But that's what's going to happen. And we can't convince a passive house would like lower levels of ventilation, but balanced and supplied to all the living spaces and, and then exhaust from the kitchens and the bath. But it's much lower than the, co- than the codes and the ASHRAE standard in particular require. So there's a conflict there. They don't see our low levels of balanced ventilation as better than their high levels of exhaust only, even though I think we've shown on multiple projects that that high level doesn't work when you don't have makeup air. And it's different. It's different for a single family detached Absolutely. and a big multifamily. Absolutely. You know, not that not that exhaust only is always okay in single family, but you know, you know, you the exhaust is not coming from your neighbor. It's not right. coming from the garbage chute. It's coming from outside. Right. Now, is it coming from a crawl space filled with radon? That's bad. That's a concern. Right. Uh, but yeah, I mean, exhaust only in in big multifamily buildings. Nobody knows where that air is coming from. Right. What we think is that filtration is going to become a bigger part of the solution, but we don't have okay. that many great products out there yet that the labs feel comfortable, would do a great job. And then again, it's, it's all based on maintenance, right? All of these solutions are yeah. based on maintenance. Mm-hmm. Are you going to clean your filters? Because when you stop cleaning your filters, they don't work either. Yep. So yep. <clears throat> it's it, one of the hardest ones to deal with. Yeah. Um, and, the, and most of the conflicts we have are with ventilation. It's not really with anything else. You can talk about thermal breaks and the conflicts might be with your structural engineer, but there's always ways to deal with it. Right. The ventilation thing is one of those ones where there's this constant battle. There's line in the sand yeah. and nobody's yeah. really Nobody's budging. pleased. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's it's tricky. I don't I'd have an answer. I mean I yeah, I understand passive house. I mean it's they seem low to me, the passive house requirements, but at the same yeah, exhaust only in multifamily just doesn't work. Right. We know that. It's so it's how, and how do, do you do? ventilate a studio, a 400-square-foot studio apartment at five air changes per hour <laughs> and, and, and meet any kind of energy yeah. budget? You know yeah. what I mean? That's just ludicrous. So, Well, here's a practical <laughs> question. Can, can the capacity of a ventilation system be higher but not always run? So do the modeling for a lower-capacity ventilation, and if somebody wants more, they can boost it. So very easy to do with individual, individual okay. ERVs. Yep. Much harder to do with... Uh, central. central systems is in, yeah. in large projects, but it can be done. Okay. I, I have spoken with people in the north, uh, the northwest that have been working on passive house projects, and they put like things like inline booster fans in their bathrooms. Uh, um, all and right. so, okay. and and they have a variable speed drive on the central system that is supposedly responding to me boosting a, my bathroom. Static pressure, exactly. yeah, that exactly. makes sense. It takes a lot of controls and a lot more product. You know, yep. a lot more pieces of equipment, and people are leery of that. They would prefer to put in constant volume. Let's balance that and get that to work. And but yeah, I think that I can see that that might be the next breakthrough. Okay, if we can find do that, that effectively works and do that effectively, cost effectively, practically. Yeah, I think it's been shown that the boost when you're cooking, especially, is important. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 
All right, we'll solve that next week. Next time. Yeah. Uh, all right, so these those are all of your FAQs, okay. which are good. Thanks, but I have two more questions. Uh-oh. And they're, they're not hard questions. These are the questions but that make the contestant who, cry. Who, <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. There's some tissues on the desk okay. over there. Who is building passive houses and why? I mean, the people that are doing it, who's doing it and why? So we have a lot of affordable housing developers going to passive house. And Interesting. Is that just kind of our clients or really kind of nationwide you're seeing that? Nationwide. Trend? Okay. We're seeing affordable housing agencies put it on tax credit applications. Uh. We're seeing developers just come to us. And it's not necessarily because they're getting incentives to do it. They see it as they're owning the buildings too, right? So you have okay. to understand that. Okay. So they're paying part of the cost. So they see it as energy reduction. They're also paying part of the heating for their tenants. So that is an also another energy reduction for them. But they... They are really committed to the people that live in their buildings yeah. and providing a low-income uh, tenant with a low energy bill is really important to them and comfort and durability and good indoor air quality. They're just yep. a wonderful group of developers to work with. So yeah, they're over really the, committed. Mean, in the 20 years that I've been doing it, it's, it's kind of mission-driven groups that are really yeah. not just looking at the bottom line but really want to provide quality Housing, exactly. Buildings. It's, exactly. It's very gratifying to work with folks like that. And then we just have we have mission driven market rate people that they companies they they believe in it. They've bought into the fifty by eighty. Okay. You know, 80, eighty by fifty challenges, right? Like they want to reduce carbon. They're, they live in cities that are that's their goal, and they want to be part of that solution. And and they're willing to be leaders in that. So we have a number of. Of market rate clients that are, are pushing that as well. Awesome. Yeah, trying awesome. to differentiate themselves from. Gotcha. So not incentive driven, just no. really, yeah, cool. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. That is cool. And geography, I mean, we're mostly in the Northeast probably, but I mean, nationwide, do you have a feel for are there hot spots? California, I mean, big cities. The Northwest. Where, north, okay. Yep. They're they're a little bit, they're a little more active there. Canada's going crazy right now okay. because of the codes. Um, ah. New York really is the driver. Partly, okay. the city, the state, everybody's behind this carbon reduction goal. Yeah. Passive House is seen as one of the ways through, not the only way, but one of the ways through. Plus, the whole push to net zero from everyone, everywhere, is Passive House is seen as sort of like the first stepping stone, like getting your building energy use down by those metrics first. Sure. And then adding renewables and whatever other technology. And so it's not necessarily the certification that is so important. It's the just the measures. The principle. Yeah, yeah. the principles. Yeah. Gotcha. Cool. Last question. If we talk again in five years, what are we going to be talking about? How stupid we were, probably, <laughs> of that we didn't know this wasn't actually going to work this particular way. Like, yeah. for instance... Uh, we you know we thought okay it's supposed to reduce energy use by this much and maybe the tenants are so comfortable they're turning up their heat and want to be you know it's that whole yeah. thing like yeah. or maybe, or the modeling might not be quite as accurate as one might hope oh how often does that happen come <laughs> every, on that never every happens every project <laughs> come on modelers are fantastic well models are fantastic modelers <laughs> are fantastic i love modelers but um the uh, yeah, I mean, what we're really hoping for right now is that all of our projects are going to employ some sort of monitoring. Yeah. Because we are expecting some of these buildings to not perform the way that we hope they will, but if we can't tell people why, then we've failed. Yeah, right. We just need to be able to say, okay, here's the problem. 
we need to look at this differently yeah. and move forward. A lot of the technology, a lot of the, like the heat bumps, the new ventilation systems, they're just a lot of new stuff. A lot of and, new stuff. You know, being installed in the building for five years, being maintained to different mm -hmm. levels of rigor. Yeah. Yep. We'll see. I know. Like anything else, I guess. Then one of the biggest issues is, especially on, uh, is, is the maintenance staff education levels with this new technology as well. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. What they're used to maintaining. Um, we're working with the School Construction Authority in New York to evaluate what it means to go to this level of efficiency, not necessarily certifying to pass us, but these levels of efficiency. And they're, they constantly talk about education of their current maintenance yeah. staff and what their maintenance staff will use. Even the schedules that are in the building management systems, for turning things on and off, they'll override them quite a few times because uh, they don't want to be dealing with turning them on and off for special uh, groups. So they'll God. just put them on 24-7. Oh, <laughs> so you go look at the utility bills and you're like, this is not what we designed. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of education is needed. Yeah. For, an, yeah, for anything. And this, yeah. I get, you know, hopefully these will be under a little bit of a, a microscope to yeah. inspect them. So yeah. we'll figure all that stuff out. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes, we will. Cool. Anything else? Any other big picture passive house pieces? We covered a lot. We covered it all, Rob. Done. Oh. <laughs> you're all experts. We're all experts. Sweet. Thanks, Lois. Thanks, Rob. Thank you for listening to Buildings and Beyond. For more information about the topics discussed today, visit www.swinter.com slash podcast and check out the episode show notes. Buildings and Beyond is brought to you by Stephen Winter Associates. We provide energy, green building, and accessibility consulting services to improve the built environment. Our professionals have led the way since 1972 in the development of best practices to achieve high-performance buildings. Our production team for today's episode includes Dylan Martello, Alex Mirable, and myself, Heather Breslin. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week.